I'm Anahid, award-winning U.S. and European certified floral designer, entrepreneur, and your host to Viva La Floral Live podcast. If you are a florist, floral farmer, floral business owner, or simply a floral enthusiast, you are in the right place, my friend. We help you by providing insights through industry professionals, their stories, and useful tips. We bring you the art and business of flowers. Welcome to the show. Hello and welcome again to Viva La Floral Life podcast. So today's episode, man, it's after a month and a half almost or two months of silence, you guys. Happy New Year. I know it is not January. I get it. It is my first episode airing in 2022. So I needed a break. Life gets busy, you guys. So yeah, I just kind of wanted to start with the solo episode on this one. So don't get me wrong. We're going to get have guests come in and going again, just like usual. But this particular episode needed to be a solo episode. And this one is actually a pre episode, if you will, to my next one that, believe it or not, honestly, has nothing to do with flowers. So my flower friend, if you're here and you were expecting to hear about flowers and business like usual, nah, today we're going to talk about why I recorded the next episode that's going to air, you know, why was it still is one of the most important ones and maybe a little bit more nerve-wracking ones for me because it is really personal it is probably it was one of the most personal ones this episode right here today is ultimately the most personal episode I've ever recorded and most raw if you will I wanted to talk to you about a little bit of me right my heritage, where I come from, and what made me and brought me to where I am and made me who I am, essentially. I am Armenian through and through. And I have done an episode of like, hey, here I am, let me introduce you to myself. But again, we really haven't talked about some of the things that you know, I want to share with you today. So as I said, I am Armenian originally, wasn't born and grew up and, you know, finished college and the whole nine yards and came here to United States as an adult with not the hope of staying here. You know, I was supposed to go back, but ended up not. Long story. What I've realized throughout my being in in United States, I've experienced and faced a lot of challenges that I had to overcome. I mean, one of the first ones was I didn't speak any English when I first came to United States. I mean, how crazy and bizarre is that, right? I thought, I mean, I was stupid, you know, really ignorance is bliss. I think, I guess at the time that was the prime example of that thought, you know, if so-and-so did it, I mean, I can do it. I'm just going to go work a little bit and then come back and I'm going to open my own dental practice or whatever, you know, yay. That's sort of what I wanted to do. But things didn't really work out that way because, you know, I got here. I didn't speak English. So I got fired before I got hired from the job that I was supposed to work at. When I went to this grocery store where I was supposed to be a cashier, the, this lady was talking to me and I'm literally smiling at her. And there's this girl next to me who's Armenian who spoke English. She was there to translate for me, basically told me, get the heck out of here almost in those words. So of course, I didn't work for a few months till I started till I got a job at a restaurant in the kitchen washing dishes. Yep, finished college and everything, you know, got my lovely little education. And here I am washing dishes in a restaurant. Lovely. But you know, it taught me a lot. There were a lot of people there that were wonderful. And for those of you who are wondering what working in a restaurant life is like, listen to the book Kitchen Confidential by Anthony Bourdain. Perhaps not as graphic, but yeah, just close enough, you know. 
people that had a lot of their own demons they were fighting with, but they all put all of their differences aside and realized that I wanted to learn English. And I kind of became everybody's pet project. You know, they're going to teach me how to speak English. Okay. Of course, I learned how to speak English, conversational English. And of course, you yes, you guessed it. I could cuss like a sailor. Still can. That was the first English I learned because I'm like, everybody talks like that. It must be the thing to do. Fast forward, of course, you know, after I moved from there, ended up working in a dental practice, have a dental assisting school right now with my husband. We travel and teach and all of these things. In the midst of all of that, I discovered flowers and I've always loved flowers, honestly, but decided that I want to do this as business, fell in love with business to the core. My God, it just excites me so much. And what I've realized actually is this is how I approach life and this is how I approach everything with an extreme resiliency. And where did that come from? And what I realized is that actually came from me simply being partially being Armenian and also the way I was raised and grew up. Okay, Armenia is one of those nations that has been beat down through history over and over and over again. It is centuries old nation in a in a country with wonderful people, very talented and smart people, and yet politically not so much, which then led for this country to go through multiple wars throughout history. And there are some very specific events that Armenia has gone through as a nation and as a country. I'm not only connected to it as an Armenian, I am connected to it very directly through my heritage and my grand-grandmothers and fathers and so on. So some of you have heard about Armenian genocide. In fact, word genocide was put into the dictionary after 1915 events of Armenian genocide that happened to describe the events that, that, that took place at the time. I don't want to make this all political and any of these things. I'm not preaching anything. I'm not pitching anything. I'm not selling anything here, you guys. But I kind of wanted to share a little bit of this and where I guess part of my resiliency is coming from because I've noticed that many Armenians, actually, we all kind of share very similar of the similar traits when it comes to just powering through things, you know? So uh, my grand-grandmother from my maternal side and paternal side, I have two of my grand-grandmothers, are genocide survivors. And there is a, actually, I'm going to refer you to a few places. So there is a podcast episode that was done by Jocko Willing, and I will share the show note link um, for you to go and listen to this podcast. He's done almost three and a half, I think, close to four hour episode about the genocide. It is a co-hosted podcast. And I learn about this events pretty much since school and I've known about it. I mean, my grand grandmothers are genocide survivors, but I tell you what, I could not finish that podcast in one sitting because it was just so heart-wrenching. You know, Jocko Willing is a Navy SEAL, a man who was designed to kill, basically. <laughs> worked with multiple presidents and done many undercover missions and things like that. And, you know, wrote multiple books on leadership and all of this. You know, if you don't know who he is, check him out. There's this guy, right? This, this machine of a man that is sitting there talking about the events of 1915, you know, between Turkey and Armenia and all of that, and is almost choking when he's describing the events. That's when it dawned on me that my grand-grandmothers actually survived through those events, right? Um, so this is kind of a really weird um, thing, memory that I have. Um, so 
my paternal grand-grandmother, one of them had this doll, this like fabric made doll that was just kind of dirty. She washed it every week, but it was always, it just always looked dirty. And it, it always sat on her bed, you know, on her pillow after she made her bed. And us as kids, we thought it was like the scariest looking thing ever. That thing was terrifying looking and kind of not really pretty. Okay. What we realized, what I realized years after she was gone, that when they fled their homes, her and her family and her as a young child, she was, I think, 10. That was the only thing that she took from her own home when they went on foot through deserts to survival. So talking about this gives me goosebumps. And again, until I listened to that episode that Jocko Willing did about it, it didn't dawn on me how, how horrific those events were because now I'm hearing it from this guy who has no emotional connection to any of this and, you know, has all this military training and just, just why is he even talking about this, you know? Fast forward, then, you know, when collapse of Soviet Union happens, right? Armenia gets separated from Soviet Russia along with Azerbaijan and everybody's claiming their independence and so on. There's this one tiny piece of land called Nagorno-Karabakh that is right now a huge conflict um, issue that's been going on since then. Well, since before then, actually, again, not to go down into political and history rabbit hole, but that land was given, gifted, I would say, to Azerbaijan by Stalin. And it was down really to appease Turkey at the time and for other political reasons, but nevertheless, predominantly Armenians living on that land. And all of a sudden they're like living under a Azerbaijani government, under a Muslim government. And Armenia actually is the oldest nation that adopted Christianity. So you can only believe what kind of suppressions went on when Armenians, you know, through 1915 got separated between, you know, went under Turkey, half of the Armenia went under Turkey, the other half went under, you know, Iran at the time. Um, or Persia, if you will, culturally, language, religion, you know, so on. And here we are again, right? Fast forward my age now, right? So 12 years old and Armenia gets independent and immediately after a war breaks out between Azerbaijan and Armenia. Azerbaijan basically being backed up by Turkey every step of the way with all the military efforts and help and everything else. Russia was helping Armenia at the time, you know, well, a little bit after, but not, needless to say, history kind of repeats itself for Armenia again in a different kind of format. This time around, both my maternal and paternal, both grandparents, both sets, leave their homes on foot and march for days to survival again. And um, it's really heartbreaking to, to think about this, you know, and my dad at the time volunteered to go and fight because it was martial law at the time. So when he went to fight, this was again, 1992. And we, we didn't have cell phones. There's no social media. And we only, she, he was supposed to go for three months only. He was gone for 13 months, a year and a month to date really is when he came home. And we, after about three and a half months of him being gone, we did not know if he was alive or dead. And my mom had to keep the family together, the three kids, the newborn. My brother was six months at the time, you know, my younger one. And I'm 12. So I had to grow up really fast, you know. So not only, you know, my dad's fighting the war and we don't even know if he's alive or dead. There's blockages in Armenia. There are, there's no electricity or we get like electricity for like an hour a day, perhaps. We get hot water 
during that one hour a day. So you, you, you can imagine, you know, and it's all like this, like scheduled, whatever timings and you can imagine all the laundry showers, everything has to happen during that time. I mean, it was, it was some seriously rough times, but I watched my mom power through all of that. I watched my grandparents to leave their livelihoods. You know, three of them were teachers. One was a journalist on top of, you know, being a teacher. One was a judge. So they were highly educated people who left their house in the hopes that they're just going to safety because the region they were in was being bombarded and they're going to go back to their homes. But they ended up not being able to go back to their homes. In fact, they ended up continue marching to survival and lost all of that. So I watched them come and start again from scratch, from zero and made it happen again. So my dad came home and of course, you know, Armenia won the war at the time. You know, if you can call it that, honestly, there's so many lives lost on both sides, really, which, again, not to make it all political, right? So life went on. And of course, economically, Armenia wasn't really doing that great. You know, yes, there are highly educated people, but there's also a lot of corruption that happens in a country. And you can only imagine at any country when the economy is not doing well, there's always a lot more corruption than it is in a, than in a country where there is, you know, better economical and social, um, you know, way of living per se, right? So so anyways, here we are, an opportunity came. And of course, I took it and I came to United States with this hope of like, I'm going to come and I'm going to make some money. I'm going to go and knock down practice. And this is going to be awesome. And I don't need to speak English. Who needs that? So, you know, I got my Armenian, Russian, and you know, my half French and Latin or whatever. It'll get me through. Boy, was I wrong. So while I was here, you know, of course, you know, I had to power through all of those things. And again, through a lot of struggles and everything else, I own my business. I have actually a couple of them. And I honestly can say that I am living very comfortably, you know, probably belong in a top 10 percentile of the world. I cannot be more fortunate in all reality, but none of these things happen really for by accident, right? Again, it happened through some serious resilience and hard work. So fast forward 2020 COVID and all this craziness that's going on. And then 2020 September, another war breaks out in Armenia. Now this time, my younger brother, who just finished military, you know, a few years prior, and Armenia goes into martial law again. This is 2020 September. This starts 44 day war is what happened. And there were some really serious war crimes that happened during that time from Azeri and Turkish side recorded war crimes. And again, this is just so inflamed and political and I don't want to make it as such. But here I am again, and I call my mom, and she's all distraught. She basically said that, of course, country's in martial law again, which means that no man can leave the country because everybody's called to fight is what's going on. And my brother was waiting, basically waiting for a phone call to put on his military clothes back on and go and drive a tank to fight for the country. So my heart sank. I just, you know knowing all this, going through all this, and here we are again. And fortunately, he didn't get called in. However, many did. And many 18, 19, 20-year-old Armenian boys got captured, tortured, murdered during those 44 days, burned with chemical weapons and things like that. A true David and Goliath kind of fight. And this time, David didn't really win. 
unfortunately. Was it all lost though? While I was kind of moping and, you know, really internally just completely distraught, not only dealing with COVID, but dealing with all of these issues now that are happening in Armenia, right? All afraid and worried about what's going to happen if my brother gets called in because most of the people were not coming home alive essentially from this war. So all these worries aside, then this film just came out that I just found out about called 45 Day Fight for Nation. And I'm like, hmm, that's interesting. So of course, it was a small documentary you know, made by Emil. He's a documentarian from um, England. And I was intrigued immediately. I'm like, huh, that's interesting. And of course, as they did their small showings of the, the film, and I went and watched the movie in DC. And I was inspired by it. Honestly, it was it focused on humanitarian side of things on survival side of things. There's still life after all of these things. And um, yet again, many Armenians Fortunately, this time, none of my direct family members, but many Armenians had to leave their homes and march or drive away to Survivor. Now, not to give out to details, you should really watch the documentary. It is, it is real. It's brilliant. It's fantastic. And uh, my next episode actually is with Emil Gieson from England. He was in the military and left the military and decided to do some war documentaries. And you're like, why on earth are you recording all this? You know, if you're still here listening to this, then you must be intrigued and at least interested a little bit, right? And want to find out more. So be sure to come back, listen to the next episode. I promise you, you won't regret it. And it is interesting. I will also share a show note in the show notes, the link to Jocko Willing's episode, highly recommended, honestly. You know, it's a history, right? And there are a few films that were made that kind of, you know, talked about some of these topics. I think one is called Promise, and that is very much the movie is about the Armenian genocide. And that was, you know, during the whole World War One events as sort of happening in parallel during that time, as well as another one called Turkish Lieutenant. It's a love story. Both are actually kind of love story as well, but both touch on Armenian genocide and the, some of the events that happened during that time. And of course, this doc Documentary. I would highly recommend it. Uh, all the links are in the show notes. And listen to the next one, my interview with Emil. And after that, I promise you, friends, we are back again with all the flower talks. So thank you for, you know, really sticking around, listening to this long. This was not an easy one to record. I, I thought really long and hard about it. And like, why should people care? You know, at the end of the day, if you're here, perhaps you're a little bit interested. All I wanted to do with these two episodes, honestly, is to bring a little bit of awareness, just a little bit of awareness what's going on in the world out there right now. Like right now, as we are here, Ukraine is going through some serious troubles with Russia, Syria, any other countries. Like just, just all this, like there's so many, many countries and nations right now that are fighting so many internal wars that unfortunately being in the United States, we're a little bit sheltered from some of that and really don't pay attention to some of that or news don't cover some of that because they have COVID to talk about. I mean, part of it, you know, aren't we all tired of it? But I just want to encourage you to perhaps, you know, um, listen to world news a little bit, you know, just explore, see what else is out there. And honestly, from no other purpose than just awareness, knowledge, and human interest. And again, at the end of it all, after all of these things, one thing I know for sure is there's nothing good that comes out of wars, any kind, really. But there's always one silver lining that happens 
humanity always wins at the end of the day, I think. Or at least that's what I would like like to believe. Yes, Armenia lost the war in 2020, but I don't think Armenia lost as a nation. And I don't think this is the end of it all. Again, it was this movie, this documentary that I watched that kind of shed light a little bit on, you know what? I am Resilient. I am Resilient partially because I am Armenian through and through. With that said, I'm going to end here. I'll talk to you then. Well, it's a wrap. Thank you everyone for listening, for tuning in to Viva La Flora Live podcast. We'll see you next week. 